Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Opinions and statements of guests not affiliated with EverAg are their own and do not reflect the views of EverAg. The accuracy of their statements cannot be guaranteed by EverAg. Hello and welcome to From the Furrow, brought to you by EverAg Insights, where each week we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. Happy Thanksgiving to all. We have so much to be thankful for. We aren't going to talk about the Packers anymore, but Badgers did squeeze out a win over the weekend, just so long as we close with a better record than the Bears. Let's get started with a review of the markets. Today is Tuesday, November 22nd. December 22 corn is down two and three quarter cents, closing at 656 and three quarters. And January 23 soybeans closed down seven cents at 1429 and three quarters. Turning to our guest, this week it's our privilege to have Karen Braun, a columnist with Reuters, who focuses on the grain and oilseed markets. Thanks for joining us, Karen. Thanks for having me, guys. First off, how long have you been covering global ag markets and how did you become interested in ag journalism? Well, that's a really interesting question because I did not grow up around agriculture. I'm from the Chicago area, but I did not grow up on a farm. I grew up in the suburbs, um, don't have any family in farming or anything. So I actually uh, found ag through meteorology. So that was my background. Um, that's what I studied in college. That was my also my master's degree. And I got my start with the company that I'm at now, Thomson Reuters, um, about 11 years ago, I guess it was. And I was working, delivering energy or uh, weather data, excuse me, to energy clients uh, there in Houston. And then the, the following year, 2012, is when I got hired by Thomson Reuters' newly acquired Landworth Agriculture Division and started as a crop analyst in uh, spring of 2012, a very interesting time to start. Um, I had no idea about really anything to do with agriculture. I was sent on crop tours. I saw a lot of dead corn in the U.S., I had no idea what that meant. I was like, is this good? Is this bad? I have no idea what's going on. Um, so really, it was so much learning. And there was, and it's a, it's a steep curve. But um, finally, after a little over three years, I got hired by the editorial division of Thomson Reuters to be an agriculture columnist. And I thought, oh, wow, I've never been a writer in my life. Um, I was always a B uh, student on my essays. A's in math and science, but the teachers didn't really love my essays. So it's very interesting. I thought, I don't know how that's going to work, but okay. Um, but yeah, here I am. So that was a little over seven years ago. So now, so now, um, you know, there was a lot of sort of self-learning um, and just kind of, you know, learning as I go and uh, making connections. And, uh, you know, here I am seven plus years later uh, doing something I never ever, you know, originally targeted, but, but it's been really great. That's awesome. I appreciate your honesty on your, in your path to, uh, ag journalism. Uh, but you've established yourself as one of the premier go-to news sources for the ag markets and the ag community. How have you, how have you kind of built that community around yourself or how have you kind of sourced information through the years? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. And I never really set out to um, be this way. I mean, of course, I wanted to be successful in what I was doing, but 
um, especially the the Twitter component of things. I mean, that was something that my you know manager told me seven years ago. Okay, we're going to have a Twitter presence, a social media presence. You know, uh, put some stuff up. You know, time to time, engage with the audience. And I thought, okay, well, I'll try. And um, honestly, uh, the way I did it, I would say, is kind of using my very visual approach to things. I mean, I need to see things in very clear, concise tables. I want to see charts. I want to see context. If I hear a stat or a figure, I immediately want to know, is that relevant or not? Does that stand out or not? And I want to show that very clearly in a chart for my own knowledge. So I started kind of doing that. And um, I guess it caught on. I, I don't think a lot of people on Twitter are 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 doing it quite consistently um, as I am. And, um, you know, I think it just kind of started there and uh, it, 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 it kept going. And, um, you know, then I started using the, the audience to kind of play, play on my, on my uh, content. So they would be commenting or asking questions on a tweet. And then that would give me some other ideas. And um, so, so it's kind of very much part of my workflow now. And I, I really, really appreciate everybody that follows me and that um, engages with my stuff because um, it helps me a lot be a better, um, not only columnist, but then, you know, just, uh, you know, ag analyst in general. I know I might personally appreciate all the charts and visuals you put out there because I'm a, I'm a visual person as well. And I, I kind of lean on that old saying, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. And I, I think that is definitely the case when you talk about, you know, numbers. Sometimes you can get kind of lost in the in the minutia and, and uh, a chart or a graph can really tell that story really clearly. Yeah, I totally agree. And and a lot of the times there's numbers that come out or you know, we say, well, you know, Brazil shipped X million tons of soybeans to this place and it sounds crazy, but Maybe that's actually not that much, um, you know, compared with history. You really have to take every data point and put it in context and decide, is this significant or is it not? And that's what I try to do. Where do you go then for sort of your, you know, ag and grain news, weather, other, you know, topics that are peripheral to, to the grain markets, obviously outside of, of Reuters? Yeah, so that's an interesting question, too. I I would say... I get a lot of the breaking news items on the Reuters newswire, all the stuff, especially internationally, because it is very hard outside of the U.S. to really get, you know, that that um, that like breaking news piece, you know, the the, the kind of the the why, the now. Um, so that's really helpful. Um, but but also a lot of that stuff is on Twitter. So even if you're if you're not like a Reuters news subscriber, you can follow Reuters ag or Reuters commodities on Twitter, and they'll post a lot of those stories. So that's a really great place um, to just kind of get the news. Um, as far as sort of more in-depth stuff, I actually do listen to ag podcasts. I do a lot of running, and I like to use that time to listen to people just talk about the markets. And you know, it's not that I'm necessarily learning something new every time. I mean, usually I'm not, but you know, I take that time that I'm running to myself and I just think about things. And that's how I often generate some of my ideas because they're all my own. No one tells me what to write about. I have to decide what's relevant, what's going on, um, and what should I say this week. And so that time I spend running and listening to podcasts just sort of gets my brain going, gets me thinking about things. Um, so so that's, that's really 
a lot of how how I I do that. And then I would say the other way would be just um, through connections that I've made. So I uh, just over the years I've I've made connections with various people. Um, I would say a couple brokers that send me just you know newsletters every day, or people that forward other newsletters. Um, but you know, just seeing what are people talking about today? You know, what's going on in the overnight markets? What's driving the trade this morning? What do we have to look out for today? What happened elsewhere in the world while we were sleeping? So just all of those, um, all of those factors are things that I consider in my um, in my daily routine. Really, sounds like you do a lot of of listening and reading uh, to really give you some ideas and formulate um, some content. Yeah, it's kind of a nonstop. It's kind of a nonstop cycle, honestly. Always looking out for something or looking for inspiration. You mentioned markets a little bit, kind of switching gears to markets. Both the corn and the soybean markets have seen very tight supplies, not just this year, but obviously for the last couple of years, we've had relatively tight supplies. Yet the markets are pretty quiet in trading sideways to lower here as we you know, approach the end of the year. What are some of the traders that you talk to thinking and or watching as we come into the final stretch of 2022? I think that as you come to the end of the year, especially, and there's no really fundamental change in the outlooks, it gets really hard to move around a lot. I mean, if we saw suddenly that, you know, China came in and bought a bunch of U.S. corn unexpectedly, or even, you know, China closes back down again for for COVID procedures, or, uh, you know, something like something has to fundamentally change to get people excited right now. And I think that one of the uh, key things to to look at right now is kind of the fun positioning. I mean, money managers have been really long uh, over two years now. And uh, especially if you look at those short positions, there are no short positions out there. No one is taking that stance. Hey, you know what? I really, I, I really think that we've we've done enough here, and we're going to start to move lower. I mean, no one is no one is taking that stance. Um, I think that in recent weeks, funds have kind of been reassessing, you know, the extent of their bullishness, but they're but they're not necessarily taking that short stance, and that has been a theme for well over a year now. So I think that once we start seeing action there, that's when we really might be maybe looking at a change in the trend here. I think I'm thinking, you know, as we look at it, 20 uh, since September of 2020 was really the last time the funds had a short position and they basically started flipping out of a massive short coming off of the pandemic and moved into a fairly aggressive long position and and have held that to your point for for 2 years and then some. So That'll be interesting to watch as we move into 2023 and how they view their position in commodities in light of the broader economy could also be interesting. Yeah, I, I think that, um, and that is true, definitely in corn right now. I mean, that is the exact story in corn, but I think it's important to mention the wheat. I mean, funds, funds have really kind of built up a short here, a net short in wheat. And I thought it was really surprising, actually, that during the week that Russia kind of canceled the Ukraine grain deal for a couple of days there, funds actually sold wheat through that period, despite like an 8% rise in futures. And that was definitely not expected. So that just shows you 
that they are just not having this this narrative right now. And I think that you can see uh, kind of the, uh, I think that the sentiment maybe is reflected also in kind of the volumes you've been seeing, lower trading volumes, open interest is super low. Uh, so, you know, you can't really get big moves in the fund positioning without a lot of participation. Also, you know, the price moves are a little bit, you know, maybe they can be a little more muted at times or even really strong at times if there's not a lot of participation. So, you know, I think that that's important to note for the wheat. I mean, it seems like the funds are just kind of rejecting this bullish idea. It'll be interesting to see how they how they uh, handle that as we move into new quarter, new year. But uh, I agree. I think that's something to definitely be watching. 2023 is weighing really heavily on the minds of a lot of producers that we talk with on a daily basis with the cost of putting in an acre of corn or an acre of soybeans at record levels this year. Um, I've recently been working with producers through cost of productions, and it feels like while the range is wide, um, that $5.50 to $6 mark hits a lot of acres uh, on soybeans, eleven fifty to thirteen dollars hits a lot of acres, um, and in many areas across the country, cash prices aren't necessarily at or above break evens for producers yet. What are you watching and looking for uh, on the twenty twenty three markets? You know, I think you're. You, I think you're talking about U.S. producers here, and. Uh you know, looking at their 2023 pictures and looking at their costs. And I think it's very key to see kind of the futures relationship right now between next year's uh, new crop contracts. So corn definitely has that advantage over soybeans right now, but you know, it's kind of been moving around lately. You know, we could definitely be somewhere different by the spring, but, you know, I know that a lot of producers have already purchased seed for next year. So, you know, it would definitely suggest that you're going to get a little bit more interest in corn versus soybeans next year. But but one thing that the market has definitely been missing uh, in the last couple of years, especially going into 21, when we had that big rally in late 20, when we were looking at really high prices in early 21, I think the market just figured, oh, my gosh, farmers are going to plant like to the fence rows. I mean, they're going to plant their yards with this stuff. Oh, my gosh, the prices. You know what? They didn't. And I and I think and we were shocked then. And then in 22, we came in thinking, well, for sure, they'll do it this year. Look how much higher the price is. And they didn't again. And I think that this is speaking to a, a larger trend of kind of, you know, less acres available for row crops. And and I don't know exactly why that is, but I do know that, you know, I do see development kind of creeping in on farmland just Little by little, and you know, something that I saw, oh, last year that was a cornfield. Oh, look, they're making it into a neighborhood now. And you know, that maybe is uh, a little more prominent than we thought in the last few years. And I think that we need to make sure that we're looking at that available acreage universe properly and not just assuming that high prices generate acres because I think they do, but how many are available? I think that's what we have to um, keep in mind when we look at sort of those acreage estimates heading into 23. Yeah, that's a good point, Karen. I mean, 
Certainly, it, it feels like the government is doing its best to slow down the economy and mortgage rates are high. So maybe we'll be able to curve, uh, curb the urban sprawl a little bit. But that certainly has got an impact potentially on some mm -hmm. of the acres that we're seeing into corn and soybeans. You know, they it's hard to believe it's already Thanksgiving and it's the end of the year, um, but it's here. And well, I'm curious, in 2022, what was the the biggest story that you covered? What was one that really got you excited and got readers excited as well? That's actually a really easy question. Um, hands down, the, uh, the Russia and Ukraine war and how things kicked off in late February. I don't think that anybody, well, first of all, nobody expected that, but um, the way that wheat was rallying there, uh, you know, the first week of March, just limit up every day and just kind of no end in sight. And what does this mean? And I and I know that that really kind of lured in a lot of outside attention from, you know, non-ag people, other traders, and even just, you know, people, the public in general, what's going on with wheat? And And I think that there was just maybe a lack of awareness of just how important Ukraine is in the uh, global grain trade picture and also Russia, because, you know, if we were going to sanction Russia and not allow their their exports, you know, those two together, that's a really big chunk of, of you know, the, the world, uh, you know, grain distribution. So I think that educating people on Ukraine's exact footprint and then, you know, Russia, too, but especially in Ukraine, uh, on, you know, their footprint on uh, the global agriculture market, I think, was really, really key. And and it's not only for corn and wheat, but also for sunflower oil. I mean, the global veg oil market, because at the same time, you had the, uh, you know, the palm oil ban going on, um, you know, in, uh, I think it was Indonesia, Malaysia. Honestly, it was so long ago now that in 2022 has felt like three years, um, just because of all the things that went on. And so, so I think that the Ukraine situation really kind of stepped things up a notch and it and it really, really drew a lot of attention to our market and kind of re-emphasized agriculture's role kind of in the in the global economy. But you know, we definitely, especially in the wheat market, we've seen a return to the pre-war levels. So, you know, we're kind of satisfied there for now, but we're definitely seeing tightness in the other market still, especially oil seeds still corn. So, um, you know, that is definitely still with us um, moving into 23. Yeah, it was surprising to hear about where Ukraine ranked in corn exports and in wheat production and in soybean oil production. Because to your point, I think we all, they, they were so silently active in the market. And this really did draw a lot of attention to them. And we, we, realized how important they were to the global food supply. Exactly. And I've actually traveled Ukraine. Um, I've been there, been there five times, but twice I, I drove around the country visiting farms and uh, looking at, you know, fields and crops. And uh, wow, I mean, they've definitely come a long way. Uh, they've, they've really increased their production in the last 10 years. They, they really have modernized a lot there. And so it is, it is disappointing to see that, you know, things are, are you know, unsettled there and there's a lot of uncertainty and um, they're not able to reach their potential because, uh, you know, Ukraine not only is a big exporter, but they export most of their crop. Whereas here in the U.S., 
you know, we're only exporting 15% of our corn crop. So it's, so it's, it's quite a different picture for them there. And that's really how their country makes revenue is, is, is grain and agricultural exports. So it is a very, very big part of their economy, more so than it is for us here in the United States. Absolutely. And hopefully uh, that situation over there gets figured out sooner than later. But uh, nonetheless, we'll continue to monitor that situation. Karen, we really appreciate you joining us today. You've got a lot of fans and followers among our listeners. We've enjoyed hearing your story and, you know, your, your story of coming into the ag journalism space and also offering some insights on news and markets. Keep up the good work. We really appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much and happy Thanksgiving to all the listeners. Karen, if any of our listeners would like to learn more about your work or view it, how can they best do that? Well, definitely Twitter is the best way. If you just go on Twitter, search Karen Braun, you'll see my uh, you'll see my Twitter profile and my blue check mark. I guess it's still there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I didn't pay for it. I, I I got it through the original process. Okay. So um, so um, but yeah, that that would be the best way to find my stuff. But you also can just Google uh, Karen Braun Reuters columns, and I have a landing page where all my columns are listed. So if you want to read uh, more of my my writing and my columns, you can do it that way. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Karen. Thank you to the EverAg Insights crew for making this broadcast possible, especially Corey Romero, our producer, and Paige Driscoll for mixing and mastering today's production. Listeners, we're thankful for you. If you've enjoyed listening to From the Furrow, make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to our podcast, or feel free to give us a like or share us with a friend. 